Well, again, welcome everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're having a great weekend uh, and taking a bit of a pause to be grateful. I am very grateful for Westside Church. I'm grateful to be able to be part of it. And for all of you, for those of you who um, just make it a priority to uh, worship together here with us, uh, to volunteer, uh, to bring yourself and your resources to be part of this community. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in and, and around this place in our community. Uh, I actually want to bring up Mark. This is Mark Wall. He's uh, uh, the Westside Burlington pastor. Hey, Mark, this Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for you. Great to have you as part of our team. It has been great to work with Mark over uh, the last few months that we brought him on the team. There have been lots of things going on as we've been talking a lot about what's happening in Burlington, too. Mark, what are you thankful for this weekend? <laughs> Thanks for asking, Dave. I'm thankful for you. Well, you well, had to say that yeah, after I said you know, it earlier, right? Right? It's good. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> um, but really, I'm thankful for my family, for friends, for this community, for our Westside Burlington community. So, so thankful. And there's actually one other thing that I'm thankful for, something that happened this week, and that is that we found a location to meet as a Westside Burlington community. And that yeah. is super, yes, yes. It ha couldn't have come at a better time, this being Thanksgiving weekend. It has been quite the journey to get here, but we are there, and we are so, so excited about it. So, Mark, it has, you said, quite a journey. We've been looking for a while. Yes. Uh, tell us a bit about what that's been like and what this space is like and why we're really excited about this. Yeah, thanks for asking. It is, um, it's been quite a journey because there are a few things that we really wanted to prioritize as a community. Uh, and that was the ability to meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., uh, and perhaps more importantly, it was to have the space for our families and kids uh, to come and uh, meet with us, to have it feel like a safe place, a place where uh, parents could drop off their children, to have a lot of room. And this space that we um, are meeting at has all of those things. It is a place that we're going to have 24-7. It's a place that has lots of room, lots of space for families and kids. It has lots of space to gather and worship as adults. And so we're just super excited about that. Yes, amazing. And mm -hmm. so this is a big piece of the puzzle we've been working on Burlington because now we actually have a physical address, uh, a place, a space we know, a location we can go to and probably puts a couple of things in perspective. So yes. uh, what's next in terms of some of the timelines of using that space and all that? Yeah, so that's a great question. So there's a few things. If you are a part of the Westside Burlington community or are thinking about it or you know people in that area that you think might want to be a part of that community, there's a few things for you to know. So first of all, if you're not yet on the email list, that's probably the most important because that's where we're going to send all of these updates. That's where we have been sending all of these updates. You can go to westsideburlington.com to sign up for that. Um, the next thing to know is that on October 15th, which is next Sunday evening, we're going to be gathering as a community to talk about all of these things, to be uh, connecting together, to be giving updates, to be praying together. So that's going to be a really uh, important evening, I think a good time uh, to be together. So make sure to put that on your calendar. And then you can be looking forward to our first gathering as a community, as Westside Burlington happening um, I'm going to say early to mid-November. That's, that's all the information. I don't want to, you know, uh, put too much on the table here, but early to mid-November. So we get the space November 1st. We've got a little bit of work to do. We've got to take some walls down, put some walls up. Um, but we've got a team that's already meeting to talk about these things, which is so exciting. And I know there's a number of people who are uh, watching online, watch parties, things like that. So you can be spreading the word out there um, as well, which I think is so exciting. 
Yes, this is fantastic. Helps us to move forward uh, in ways that I know many of us have been eager to. Uh, so this is going to be great. And to be able to have Burlington meeting in Burlington and a space you can invite your family and friends to and to be at home. So this is going to be super great. Thanks, Dave. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Man, we're excited for that. And uh, we were talking this week, and uh, as things were coming together, and there's a process that uh, you don't always see, but behind the scenes of, of negotiating and uh, signing paperwork and, and working out all the details, and then at the end of this week to just kind of exhale and go, man, Thanksgiving weekend, and how grateful are we that we believe God is just working these things out, and as we follow Him to watch Him uh, do some great things. Um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And today, on Thanksgiving, I am reminded of how powerful a tool gratitude is in our lives. Because it's very easy for us to live lives where we feel like we're always grasping for more, uh, where you feel you're overextended maybe, where we're trying always to do more, feel like we have to do more, or to get more. We can easily find ourselves living in light of comparisons to others and expectations that aren't always realistic for our lives and who we are. Some of us, if we're just real honest, we feel oftentimes under the weight of some of those things, tired or insecure or dissatisfied. And today, my hope is we just take a few minutes to talk about Jesus and to hear a story that he told that uh, this weekend we might hear and be able to experience more satisfaction, joy, and deep contentment on Thanksgiving weekend. Because I actually think that as Jesus followers, these are things that we should be growing in on an ongoing basis, that if we're really following Jesus, we should have a growing sense that there is a good God of the universe who is conspiring for us. And it's easy to live in a world where we sometimes think there are all kinds of forces that are conspiring against us, and that life is difficult and hard, and there's all these obstacles. But Jesus, I believe, ushers us into the presence of a God who is conspiring for us to give us good gifts, to give us all that we need. And today, I hope that you'll be encouraged by that and to know that uh, all of life is a gift. And everything that we have, everything that we are, even every breath that we take, every breath that we take is a gift from a good God who is conspiring for our good. So in Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus tells a parable. And we're going to look at that parable. We've been looking at that in this series. And we're talking about the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the things, the secrets of following Jesus, living like Jesus, that show us the way of Jesus and the life of Jesus that aren't always obvious and sometimes are a little bit below the surface, so we're leaning in. Here's the context of this story that Jesus tells today from Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says that someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he comes to Jesus, Jesus acting in the role here for this man as a rabbi. And a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, would have been um, required to know the laws written in the Bible, the laws of the land. They would have been people that other people would have come to. And if they're having problems and trying to figure out how to follow the Jewish law, they should be able to come to a rabbi, to a teacher, and to be able to uh, get some advice, tell us what to do. Here we have someone petitioning and fairly forcefully uh, for Jesus uh, and they want Jesus to give them what they want. I want my brother to divide the inheritance with me. An inheritance in the ancient world, certainly in uh, the, this Jewish part of the world, uh, would have usually been property. So it's not easy just to divide the inheritance. It's not like, hey, there's some money. Give me mine. You take yours. We'll do whatever we want with it. The inheritance would have probably been like a family farm. And the only way to divide it is to literally divide property. And that's more complicated. It's more of a deal. But here we have someone saying, uh, obviously... Our, our father is gone. Our parents are gone. Uh, I want you to divide. I, he's saying, I want what's mine. 
I want my share of the property so that I can do what I want with it. I don't want to just have to share it and figure it out with family, but I kind of want what's coming to me. Jesus says to him in verse 14, oh man, and by the way, that's not a great start. It's a little exasperated. Oh man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard, your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So Jesus starts and, oh man, this is not like a, a real cheery greeting, oh man, but kind of almost a disappointed start. And he says, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Literally, uh, who made you, who made me the divider? That's interesting. That's exactly what he's asking Jesus to do, is to divide the inheritance. And Jesus comes back and says, who made you the divider? Who made me the separator of your relationship? And in fact, what we'll see is Jesus won't be the divider, as he tells the story, but he will bid to be the reconciler. And in essence, I think even in the introduction, what he's saying is, here's somebody who's saying, divide it with me. There's probably obviously here, if they just want to divide, there's a relational divide that's happening. That's what Jesus is getting into. And he's going to tell a story about how they should be able to come together, not just be divided. But I think what Jesus is trying to communicate is, uh, you need to be careful here. He says, take guard against all covetousness, this want that you have, the want for you to get this material stuff, because there is greater gain than getting your inheritance, and there's a greater loss than losing it. Jesus is trying to put before this man, I get it, what you want, what you think you want is, just give me my property, give me my stuff, give me the material things that are part of my inheritance so I can do whatever you want. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be your divider, I want to be your reconciler, and you need to know that there are greater things in life. You need to be careful and be really on guard about this covetousness that says, I want what I want, and when I get that, I'll be happy. Because there are greater things in life, there are greater gains that you need to be aware of and you need to be pursuing, and there are greater losses than you just losing what you think you might lose in your inheritance. And so Jesus is going to reroute his thinking to think about things that are even more valuable than what he is after. And that's a great lesson for us. It's a great lesson for us in a world where we struggle with this. We struggle with always wanting a little bit more and always trying to accumulate a little bit more. And to be honest, making that, for many of us, a priority in our lives. Verse 16, we start the story. It says, And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This is a really interesting story. And some of the detail in the story is really interesting right from the get-go. This would be a culture, by the way, in which, uh, and this might be a little bit foreign to us, when we make business deals or we think about our money or, uh, or, or even our jobs and what we're going to do with our money, with our property, if we have any, uh, and, and our money decisions, they're often very personal decisions. But in this culture, uh, it would have been much more common that, that it would have been something you dialogue with your community about. 
That's really interesting for us to think about because, again, we're very uh, just about me and I can make my decisions for me and my family. Uh, you know, maybe the person you're married to, but, but going outside of those circles, it's not often, you know, that common. But in this culture, uh, any big decisions you made about your family farm, about your business, about, uh, you know, the things that you're doing, about building other barns would have been things that you would have talked to other people in your village, in your community, in your extended family about, which makes the way this story is set up uh, really uh, astounding would have really stood out. Do you see in this whole little story, it's a dialogue? Except it's not a dialogue, it's a monologue. This guy only has himself to talk about, talk to and about. Did you catch it? What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will store my grain and I will say to my soul, I will say to who? The only one that I have around to talk to, my own soul. So interesting. That here we have this man who has so much, materially speaking. His land is plentiful. It's overflowing. His his harvest is overflowing. He's got so much, and yet he's got no one to talk to about it. He's got no community. He's got all kinds of stuff, but the only audience that he has is his own soul. No community. And so his dialogue is a monologue just talking to himself about his own plans for all of his own stuff. It's not even uh, a conversation with his his spouse or his his kids. Our family stuff. No, it's all me and mine and I, first person. Just me, singular. Nobody else to talk to. So in verse 20, it says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich, toward God. Now in here, this is originally written in Greek, and there's a bit of a play on words. There's three different words that come up in this parable um, that communicate different things, but they sound a little bit similar, and I think we're supposed to pick up on them. One of them is the word uh, euphorosan, which means many things. One of them is the word euphrainau, which means the good life or to be merry at the end of uh, verse 19. And one of them is aphron, which means fool. And here's how sort of the formula of this story goes. And this is what God says to him at the end in verse 20, when you kind of connect the whole thing. If you think that euphorosine, which is many things, will euphreno bring you to the good life, you're Aphron, a fool. Okay? Your, your formula does not work. It's a stupid way of going about things. You're Euphrazon, I have many things. Look at all that I have leads to being Mary, Euphrena, the good life and everything that I wanted, where you're going to end up being a fool. Why? Because today your soul is required of you. In other words, it's almost like God saying, what's in your soul's bank account? Not what's in your barns, not what's in your material bank account, because all of a sudden, all of that is kind of useless. And again, it's interesting. He goes through this whole process. What am I going to do with it? I'm just building bigger barns. But when God says to him, you're a fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have required, whose will they be? Remember, it was just a monologue. No idea whose they're going to be. In this culture, again, it wouldn't have been so much that this man is going to die that he would have been afraid of, but what a huge loss of purpose and meaning would have been is that I have all this stuff and I have no heir. I have nobody to give it to. It won't live on. It won't benefit anybody. I mean, in Jewish culture, it would have been pretty common, and this is an important lesson for all of us to accept, one day we're going to die. You don't want to die too soon, but one day we're going to die. But the big problem here, and who's all your stuff going to be? 
Where are all your relationships? Where's all your family? Well, so far we haven't heard any of it. It's just been you. And your soul is required of you. What's in your soul's bank account? What's in your relational bank account? Well, it would appear as not so much, nothing. Your soul is required of you. The person that you've become throughout your whole life, the most valuable resource you have, the person that you're becoming. That uh, language that your soul is required of you is common term speaking of a loan uh, that needs to be repaid. In other words, God gave you the gift of your life. What do you have to give him back? In terms of the person that you've become, your character, your life. It's a a haunting question that sort of is left on, uh, you know, this cliffhanger. It's a haunting question for us. And to know that our lives are not measured by what we have, by what we earn. In fact, it's Jesus, I think he teaches this in all kinds of different ways, looking at life in a totally different economy than we do. We often, uh, our economical way of looking at our lives is uh, very much around measuring how much we can earn. Oh, we've got to earn more. Always got to get more. Always got to get to the, the, the next best car, the next best neighborhood, the certain possessions to look certain way, to earn and to strive and to get more. And Jesus here making a very pointed point that he makes in all kinds of different ways that God has a different economy, that actually your life is a gift, that everything you have, even if you think you've earned it, is actually a gift from God. You simply receive it with thankful hearts. And that's what's really important is not to measure your life on what you have and all your possessions, but on who you're becoming as you receive the gifts that God has given you, his grace in your life, all that he's provided for you. When I say this, especially in church though, none of you will argue with me right? None of you are going to argue. If I say money and possessions and stuff that you have are not the most important things in your life, you'd all go, I know, 100% agree, right? No, the most important things are, who you, you'd agree with me, who you're becoming, your family, your relationships, everybody to do that. But then why do we still live in this striving, discontented way? Don't we still, practically speaking, we're always going after more and we're always kind of overwhelmed because we're never totally satisfied? Why is chasing wealth so foolish? Why does the formula not work? That many things cannot equal the good life. Here's how you know. And here's how you know you're still stuck in it a little bit. Maybe a lot. Why is chasing wealth so foolish? Because of discontentment. This is how you know. Oh, I'm still, I'm still actually living in that cycle and that economy of striving and needing more. Because we're discontent. And we can never catch contentment. We never have enough. Do you know how much is enough for you? Financially? How much enough is you in terms of material possessions, the home that you live in? I'll tell you this. If it's a little more, a little more is never enough. But that's how a lot of us live. I'm just a little more away from being happy. But once we can get that car, once we have this much in our savings, once my, my retirement account has X number of dollars, I just need a little more. But I, I'm so close to it. I'm just one level away from being happy. I'm just one class away from being happy. But guess what? A little more is never enough. Only enough is enough. It's only when you come to realize I have all that I need and I have enough that you have enough that you can stop striving and you can live in contentment. If it's always a little more, it's never enough. Second one is living in anxiety because we believe that our possessions, our money, our stuff will give us security. Many of us, we kind of live out of a bit of that fear, a bit of that, I always need more because what if I run out? And we put that security in our stuff. But then we find out we're still anxious. We're still worried. We still feel like we don't have enough. And what if, what if, what if? 
Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Why? Because all those things are perishable. Don't put too much emphasis on stuff that can rust. Why? Because eventually it'll rust. Or something that can be stolen because it can be stolen. You can't put your, your real security in things that aren't secure. They're not built for that. They can't provide you what you think they are providing you. Those are lies. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want your heart to be in God's eternal kingdom where you have eternal security, where you know that you have everything that you need. Start sending treasure to God's kingdom and your heart will follow there. The more we send uh, our treasure after possessions and security that we know is insecure, that's where our heart goes. We find ourselves anxious and worried. Instead, start sending your treasure into eternal things to find the eternal security of the kingdom of God. And then the third thing is we're jealous. Jealousy, comparing ourselves to other people. It's a relationship killer. It's a contentment killer. Instead of thinking of our own lives and what we have and what we need, we're trying to measure up to somebody else and what they have and what they need. And if I was in their position and I had what they had and I could live their life, I would be there. And it is a lie. Now, in this parable and in the parable we saw last week, I noticed this, uh, this, this theme it's kind of a common repeated line where in this one, uh, you know, this guy who's got all this stuff, he actually comes up with a plan. And we saw that last week. So we, we read these lines that say things like, I know what I'll do. I've got too much stuff. I'm, it's overflowing. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns. Or what shall I do? Oh, I can do this. The person, it was the same thing in last week's parable. The person looks at a problem last week. It was, I'm losing my job. Oh, I know what I'll do. And they come up with a plan. And I wondered this week and last week, they're not... Last week was a good plan. This week, not a great plan. I wonder if part of the encouragement of Jesus tells these stories to us is for us to go, oh, if we identify that we're in that position, maybe we need to come up with a plan too. And this week, maybe a better plan than this guy had. So what is our plan? If we are living in moments of discontentment, of striving, of overextending ourselves, of always feeling like we need more, of being kind of uh, discontent, anxious, jealous, insecure, I'm worried about my finances, Oh, here's a plan. I know what I'll do. Let's make a plan. And let's start with two of our greatest weapons against greed and insecurity, discontentment, anxiety, gratitude, and generosity. Here's the difference between the two. Gratitude is an inward disposition, and generosity is our external expression of it. So let's just tie into those two things. Gratitude is our inward disposition, that we can enter into. And as we live in gratitude, we can live out of generosity. Let's talk about those two things and maybe come to make a plan today. Here's a couple reasons why gratitude is so important, that inward disposition. Number one, because you can't be in a place of fear and gratitude at the same time. That's why it's so powerful. Think of it. John Mark Homer says, gratitude is focusing on what we have in the present. Fear is focusing on what we, is what we, focusing on what we don't have in the future. So if you're fearful, if you're anxious, if you're worried, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, what if, I, what if I run out? Gratitude is so powerful because it brings us into the present and says, look around and focus on what you have. Be thankful for what you have. Look at how God has provided for me today. Look at how I have food in the fridge today. Look at how I have a roof over my head today. Look at how God has provided for me every step of the way today. Instead of launching into the future and saying, what if I don't have enough? What if it runs out? What if I'm not happy? What if, what if, what if? And that drives the fear. But gratitude brings us in today, looks around, not at somebody else's life, not about what life could have been, but about my life, your life, and says, thank you. 
I have what I need today. Secondly, gratitude disrupts the negative thoughts and allows us to see the world in a positive way. It opens our eyes to start looking for not just all the things that we don't have, we wish we have, but instead, wow, look at the beauty around me. Look at the wonderful things, look at the beautiful gifts God has given me. Look at, look at even in nature, how God provides in nature for the beauty of this world and to open our eyes to see something positive and not just something negative. And then as we live in that attitude of gratitude, we realize that all of our life is a gift. Everything that we have is a gift. When that really takes root, as that takes root, it becomes easier and easier for us to express our generosity and to give to things that really matter, eternally matter. As Jesus would say, invest in the eternal things, invest in the kingdom. And that's where generosity allows us to say, I'm grateful for all that I have and I have enough and it's been a gift of God and now I can share that gift. I don't need to keep striving to make myself look good or to add comfort upon comfort upon comfort or to bulk up my savings so high that I think I can never have to worry but instead to say, because God is the giver of every good gift, I can join him and also give gifts. The best use of temporary wealth is to invest in eternal things, to invest in God's kingdom, to invest in relationships, to invest in caring for people who don't have enough because those people matter to God and they matter to us in big ways. A couple of opportunities in terms of application. Here's what I'd love for you to do. One, uh, ingratitude. I know this is the common Thanksgiving thing, but maybe start by making a list this weekend. Make a list of the things that you're thankful for, but not kind of a quick, oh yeah, yeah, I'm thankful. Go slow. Be prayerful. Stop and thank God. Again, not for the things, uh, not just for general things, but God, thank you for the things you've given to me. Thank you for my home, whatever my home is. Not compared to somebody else's home and what they have, but God, thank you for my apartment. Thank you for my room. Thank you for my home. You've given it to me. This is my life and my life is a gift from you. Thank you for my family and specifically the people you've put in my family And on and on and on. Pray through it. Go slow. Allow God to open your eyes to all that he's already given to you. And then some opportunities that I'd like to think about for generosity as that take roots and how do we express our gratitude. Um, And as a church, how do we do that? I believe God's doing some really amazing things in Westside Church. And it's been a gift to us to be part of it. All of us in whatever way we're part of it. And now we also have opportunities to join God in generosity and to give. So two things. One, you heard uh, for Burlington, our our Westside Burlington family, that we're about to launch. We're expecting God to do big things. We're expecting God to to reach people and to care for people. And we we expect that there's going to be a community of people coming together with a new expression of church. And it is a really big deal we are grateful for. And as we are grateful, I want to encourage you, if you're part of that community, that maybe one thing you could do is to consider setting up a recurring gift to help us resource that. Say, we believe God is resourcing this and he's calling us to be part of it. This is an eternal investment in a church community that we believe is going to make a difference eternally to grow the kingdom of God in Burlington. And so if you haven't already, would you consider, you can go on our website, uh, westsideburlington.com, hit give. Uh, if you're on the, uh, the newsletter and feel free to contact Mark and he can give you instructions if you, if you need um, to, to pursue that as well. But we would love to see just our expression of generosity to make sure that, that we have everything that we need to launch uh, here in the next couple of months. And we're getting closer and closer and taking those steps, which is so exciting. I'm grateful for those of you who have already done that and to show your commitment to that. Uh, It's going to be great. 
I want to put one other thing on your radar here at Westside, and if you're new, you might not know this. So today I'm just asking you to pray about it and to think about it because we're going to give you more and more in the next few weeks information. But every year, in the last couple of months of the year, we do kind of an end-of-the-year campaign where we raise money above and beyond our operating expenses to do some things that we believe God uh, would really have us to do. And so this year, that's going to take the form. Uh, We're going to do a a project here in Hamilton that we think is going to make a real difference. Uh, We've got a bunch of things in Burlington to make sure we're getting off the ground with all the things they need in Burlington, and then also something completely outside of our church walls as we provide for people who are in need around our community around the world. We're going to give you more details in the next few weeks about what those projects specifically are. Today, I just want you to do this as we just live in gratitude in that gift that God has given us of everything. Would you start praying about how God might be encouraging you to participate in that. Maybe it's starting to think about how you could put some finances aside uh, to come alongside in generosity of what God is doing and to see an impact. Um, Today we close this series uh, we've been teaching through. We've been teaching through these, um, these principles that have become core values as we've learn them from Jesus uh, for us as a West Side church. So uh, let me just summarize them for you. And these have become our core values of what it means to be followers of Jesus together. Uh, and each week we've taken one and we've talked about it. To be outward facing, we don't exist just for us, but we exist for the people outside uh, of our church currently, to care for them, to love them, to reach them. To be local focused that God has put us as individuals and communities in places where he wants his kingdom to grow through us and in us. To be next generation empowering, to know that we are giving and passing along our faith to our children, uh, to our youth, to our students, that we want to grow relationally because that's how we believe that we grow most, and then that we can be generously minded, that all the gifts that God has given us, all of our life, our church is a gift that we can give back to him. We will be at our best, Westside Church, when we're living out these values as we follow Jesus. And when we do, I believe in all these ways, we're investing in eternal things, things that really make a difference, things that matter, things that God will take our gifts, which we know are not enough ultimately, but whatever God's given to us and to offer them back to him into his kingdom for his kingdom of love and grace to grow throughout the world. And so my prayer is for us that these things would take root and that we would live them out. I want to thank you. Last year at our, uh, our year-end campaign, one of the things we raised money for uh, was a care center for kids who have special needs in Guatemala. And uh, I had the opportunity last February with my wife and with Cliff and Arlene Martz, who run Ryan's Raise uh, Foundation. We partnered with them to, to fund this project, and we got to go down to Guatemala and see where it was going to be built and see the impact and meet some of the families um, that, that bring their kids because they're overwhelmed with their needs. They can't care for these children who have needs, and they just don't have the resources uh, to be able to care for their very special needs. And I got to meet some of those families and some of those children and to see the impact that could be made um, if there were more resources. And last year, if you were here and part of that and you gave to our Christmas campaign, we raised tens of thousands of dollars and and sent it to them and we're part of that. And I just want to let you know, listen, when we invest our our temporal things in eternal things, God takes them and there's compounding interest and, and there is an impact. Tomorrow, Ryan's place in Guatemala opens officially. The building's built. It got funded. Many of you contributed to that. And I just want you to know that when you, when you give God money and when you provide for opportunities like this, that God takes and he makes a difference. 
It means that, that now, as of tomorrow, as they cut the ribbon and do all the things and open it up, there will be families who did not have support for their kids, who did not have the basics that many of us take for granted, did not have the means to feed their children, to give them equipment for their physical disabilities, to have people, nurses, to care for them and to have a place for them, in some cases, to live and to get that care. But this week, that will change for people. And so thank you. I'm grateful for you and your generosity. We're grateful for God's generosity. And may that gratitude just overwhelm us and remind us uh, to, to be freed up. As God gives us everything that we need, we can give back to him. And he takes our material things, our temporal things, and makes an eternal difference. So Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in Burlington. Thank you again for the excitement of a, a location and now some dates that we can put on the calendar for people to meet and for that expression of church to flourish. We pray that it will in your name. God, thank you for Ryan's place, for Cliff and Arlene who are down there right now to open up tomorrow uh, this beautiful care center. And we pray for the families and the kids that will be loved and cared for in real practical ways. And just ask God that you would be doing things on a regular basis there to show your love and, and very practical care for the people who need it in a real desperate way right now. God, thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you are for us, all that you've poured, the goodness you've poured into our lives. Help us to live in that gratitude and to reflect it out in generosity in Jesus' name.